So today's teaching is sponsored and brought to you by the letter D. How many of you grew up with Sesame Street? You could comment. You could say definitely that was you. And you know exactly what that song is about. Obviously, the letter D is the main letter that we're going to be focusing on during this teaching because this Christ Fellowship CF service is sponsored by the letter D today. And you'll see more as we get through. But I got to tell you this. I didn't grow up with Sesame Street at all. Like Jen did. Jen grew up with Sesame Street watching all the episodes and everything like that. No, 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 no. I didn't. I grew up with El Chapulín Colorado, okay? So we're going to put a picture of El Chapulín Colorado, Chespirito. Some of you could definitely relate. Like, you know, like right there you see the picture. And um, for some of you that don't know what El Chapulín Colorado means, it means the red grasshopper, okay? The red grasshopper. That is a true superhero. I, You know, I know some people go, you know, they look at Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Forget about all of those. I want the red grasshopper to be able to save the day. And Chapulín Colorado, that was part of my childhood. And I know that for some of you watching too, you know what I'm talking about. El Chavo, all of that, growing up, that's all I used to watch all the time. But not only that, growing up too, I do have to say almost every single week, we used to see my uncle Don Francisco in Sábado Gigante. That was a typical thing. You, you would think as a child, I would see Cesar. Street. No, 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 no. Chapulín Colorado in my uncle. I say my uncle because he was part of the family pretty much every time he was on TV. Don Francisco was there con el chacal and all of that. So that was my childhood. And I know so many of you could, could relate. So the series is called Miracles, Living by Faith and Not by Sight. And I know Pastor Diana highlighted the miracles of healing last week, and she was talking about the leper. And in addition to that, she highlighted the healing is so much more than physical healing, but it's also emotional healing. It's also, of course, spiritual healing as well. And the greatest healing that you could ever, ever get is a spiritual healing. Think about it. So many times we just crave for the physical healing, but eventually, no matter what, unless Jesus comes back first, our time will come up where we're going to see him face to face when we pass away. So we won't be constantly being healed here on earth, but the greatest healing that you could ever receive is spiritually, because with spiritual healing, as God is able to heal us and take away the sin out of our lives and restore our relationship with God, we're able to be with him for all, all eternity. So that's the greatest healing. If you didn't hear the teaching, definitely check it out. It was a great teaching. You could see it on YouTube. We keep track of all of our uh, YouTube, ser- all of our services there. You could go to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth on YouTube, or you could go on our podcast as well and be able to see it. So how I told you, Today's teaching is brought to you by the letter D because today what we're talking about is miracles, uh, the miracle of deliverance, okay? Deliverance, letter D. I'm going to start off by reading in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. It says this, referring to Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. 
and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So I think that's even so cool, just the fact that uh, the scroll was handed to him, and you'll see what I mean in the end, what he ends up saying. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So right there, he pretty much just dropped the mic and just said, hey guys, this scripture which I just read, I am the fulfillment of it. So it's such a powerful uh, message there because pretty much he's highlighting Jesus's mission statement, what he's going to end up doing through those passages. And we could pretty much sum it up into three major parts. One, proclaiming the gospel proclaiming the good news. That's one of the major things, of course, that he was doing just to be able to restore us to Father God and to be able to, for us to have that relationship with God once again. Number two, he was healing the sick. Pretty much almost everywhere he went, he was touching lives, healing the sick, whether physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And number three, he was delivering the captives. He was delivering the captives. He wanted to set free those that are oppressed by sin and oppressed by the darkness of evil in their lives. So there you see it. And of course, we also know that if, that's, if that was Jesus's mission, God calls us on the same mission because if we're his disciples, we have to follow in his footsteps. We're little Christ. So we're proclaiming the good news. We're healing the sick in Jesus' name, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And we're also called to set free the captives, those that have been um, pretty much captive um, by the enemy. So God's calling us to really um, be partners with them in deliverance. Something that Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 36, he said this, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he wants us to live in freedom, not to be held down by the chains of this world or by sin in any way, shape, or form. He doesn't want us to be oppressed by darkness, being held down and tormented, and pretty much just be overwhelmed by evil in our lives. But in so many ways, we don't live in the freedom that Jesus purchased for us, gave for us, proclaimed and lived out. In so many ways, we allow the enemy to take control of our lives and to bring us to places we, we would have never have imagined going. But it's because we're in chains spiritually. We're in a spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I'm just going to pause there real quick. I just want you to see how you have to be in alignment. It's not about when we're in a spiritual battle, but it's not about what you could do. You have to be strong 
in the Lord, you have to be aligned in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's in God's power that you can have victory spiritually and in your life. It's not in anything, in any other way. Then it continues in verse 11. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So the devil is a schemer. Right now, this very moment, in one way, shape, or form, in your life, maybe now or maybe before, the enemy is always trying to scheme behind the scenes. He's not the type that goes right in front of your face and asks you to deny Jesus because he knows you won't deny Jesus coming right to your face. But he'll definitely try to scheme his way to bring you to a point where you would deny him. As we continue in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So many times we get caught up with issues we have with people. And in reality, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So here, I want you to realize too, and it's pretty clear that there's another kingdom at work. So many times we just talk, of course, about God's kingdom, and that's the kingdom that we live in and we're supposed to live in. But the enemy has a kingdom as well. And you see it there. Against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, there's a kingdom of darkness that Satan rules, and he has his minions, you could say, that's out to do pretty much the mission that they have. But that's a reality too. Here we even see Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. He pretty much highlights, you could tell, like the two missions of the two kingdoms, you could say. He says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So right there, Jesus is making the comparison. The thief is just coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's come to bring life and bring it to the abundance, bring it to the full. So right there, you see the two missions. Now that's the reality, whether, whether we want to believe it or not. And I do want to let you know that there's two major extremes. There's some people that choose not to believe it at all. Like you say, this, when it comes to the spiritual world, that doesn't exist. And then, then you have the other extreme all the way to the other side that believes that there's a demon underneath every rock, chair, behind every signpost, behind every tree, every car that's passing by. We got to pray for both sides, both of those extremes. The best place to be is having a healthy balance. You know, obviously it is a reality. And some of us, we may be like, oh, it's not true. I mean, when you think about it, right now, this very moment, there's something that we cannot see, we cannot really feel or touch that's impacting this entire world. But you believe it, right? The coronavirus, like, you know, just because we see the effects of it, there are people that are passing away from it. So it's a real thing. You can't deny that it's real, but you can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't really like touch it and know that you touched it. But it's infecting pretty much the entire world in one way or another. In the same way spiritually, 
Just because you don't see the evil and the darkness of the enemy's kingdom doesn't mean that it's not active. It doesn't mean that it's not real. It's not, it doesn't mean that it's not killing people and destroying lives and robbing destinies from other people. You know, it's a real, real thing. So for all of us, we really need to be in, in the healthy, uh, have a healthy position on it, you could say in the middle, where we know it's real. We don't go crazy chasing after every demon or whatever it is that some people tend to go by because our hearts is set to chase after God. And we don't celebrate that demons might be subject to us. We celebrate that our names are written in the book of life and that we have that relationship with God. But I want to read to you a passage, and I want you to check this verse out so you can see. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. It says this. It says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Now think about that. It's like you, these people living in sin, they might have never thought they were obeying the devil, but because of his ways, his scheming ways, they were obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world, in other translations it says in the air, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So here you have a spiritual, you could say, coronavirus, which is the enemy, that's pretty much at work trying to impact lives from a, a negative standpoint. And how it says in that verse, he's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So here, I mean, you clearly see that there's two camps that you get to choose from to be able either to be a part of. And now let me make something very clear. The devil and his demons have been defeated and they've been sentenced already, but they're just not doing their time yet. And they're still out there causing havoc. So their time is coming though. But in this time, we have to make sure that we guard our hearts and mind and walk in victory and walk in the deliverance that God wants to give to us. Now, I want you to listen carefully to this statement. You and I, it's going to be a slide here too. You and I serve in the kingdom that our lives are aligned to. So right now, if I would ask you, it's like, you know, what kingdom do you live in? God's kingdom or the enemy's kingdom? So many of us would quick, quickly say, Carlos, pero como te me va a hacer esa pregunta? Of course, God's kingdom. You know what? It's not what you say. It's not where you attend. It's not where you tune in, whether you're here or other people watching other online services. It's not, you know, like what ministry you might be a part, um, part of. It's not pretty much how long you've known Jesus or been considered a Christian. That doesn't make you align to God's kingdom. It's pretty much your heart your actions, your decisions, your words, what you meditate in your heart, pretty much that's what aligns you to God. So your actions and thoughts is the alignment. So how are you living? So if I could ask you, how are you living? Do your thoughts 
and the meditations of your heart and your actions line up to God's kingdom? Or do your thoughts, actions, and the meditations of your heart line up to the enemy's kingdom? Because it doesn't matter what you say, what kingdom you proclaim you're a part of. You know, actions speak louder than words. So who are you serving? Who are you serving? You know, you could tell people all you want that you're part of Christ fellowship. But the day that you stand before Jesus, God's not going to ask you what church you were a part of. He's going to ask you what kingdom did you serve in. And you need to make that decision. Do you serve Jesus or do you serve the enemy? And it's all through your actions, thoughts, and the meditation of your heart. And that's a daily battle that we're all in. So now let's step into one of the miracles of deliverance. Let me just... Un poquito de agüita ahí. So let me remind you that today, of course, this teaching is sponsored by the letter D. Okay, don't forget. Okay, so deliverance... In Hebrew, there's three words that pretty much stem to the words deliverance. Um, and in Greek, there's two words. So pretty much the word deliverance that you find, find in the Bible, in Hebrew and Greek, it goes deeper. There's like five words that give descriptions of what deliverance means. But I'm going to give you a little summary. It pretty much means rescue, to save, to set free, to bring out of. So that's pretty much the definition to the word deliverance. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14. And let me just give you a quick little backstory. Jesus was with Peter, James, and John on top of the mountain, and they just finished witnessing the transfiguration. Now they've got, come down the mountain, and this is where we pick up this story. In verse 14, when they referring to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, uh, came to the other disciples. They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So picture right now, there's a lot of commotion happening. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. And then Jesus asked, what are you arguing with them about? Like pretty much, I, I could almost picture Jesus like, you know, why all this drama? Why all this commotion? Why are you, argue, uh, what are you arguing with them about? And then all of a sudden, you could almost picture like the disciples didn't speak up. A man speaks out of the crowd and says in verse 17, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit and has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So I want to stop there real quick before we continue with the story just because there's a couple things I want to highlight. Number one, the word possessed is really not found in Scripture. And a lot of times we look at the word possessed and we think, you know, all of a sudden it's someone that just lost complete control to the enemy and we focus on that word possessed. But in reality, the better word to use is demonized. 
So that's another letter D for the sponsored letter for the teaching. Demonized, okay? So demonized is a better word, which means that the demons have influence into the lives of the person. Now, there's a big range that they could have. Obviously, they could be at the point that we just read now where they're foaming at the mouth. But at the same time, it could be very subtle. But the way I see it and the way that we should all see it, if we're in any place in that radar of being um, demonized, it's a bad place to be in because it's almost like a sliding scale that's going to progressively get worse if you allow the enemy to have more and more influence in your life. So that's something very, very important for us to realize. And even for this child who I believe was a teenager, um, there, that didn't happen overnight. That didn't happen overnight. That happened over time, little by little. Something for us to realize, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but we might wonder, and you might be asking, it's like, you know, like, how could I allow, or how could that person or anyone allow the enemy to have that type of influence into their lives? And pretty much it boils down to access. The enemy, the same way, let's say you have your house or your apartment, you got to lock up your house. You got to lock the windows. You got to lock the doors. You got to put the alarm. You got to let your dogs out, ahí para que ladran, you know, to bark away. You know, you got to do what you got to do to protect your house. But if you leave your windows open, if you leave your doors open, if you put your dog in the basement and not let them be in the backyard, you know, all of a sudden you've given the enemy access and they're able to have influence. And now quickly, I'm going to highlight just five areas real quick that where the enemy could have influence in your life. Number one is sin. If you're living a life of sin and you don't come to God for repentance and you don't try to live a life of purity with the power of the Holy Spirit, you're giving the enemy access into your life. Another one is hurts. Obviously, in this life, we will be hurt, but you have an option to do with those hurts. Do you surrender them to God or you just allow them to fester and probably grow bitterness in your heart, whatever it may be over time? And even through the hurts of our lives, the enemy in his scheming ways could try to find access. Another one is unforgiveness. So many times I'm like, I'm ne- like I hear people say, I'll never forgive that person. The first thing I think about, you just, you just decided to open a door to the enemy for the rest of your life. To give him access because of your unforgiveness. And you need to realize, you might feel as though, well, that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. But you deserve to be free. And the only way you could be free is if you forgive them and surrender them to God. So if you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, the enemy could easily be holding you captive as well. Another one is generational. Pretty much what our parents did, what our grandparents did over, over time, generational sin, it could have impact into our lives and it could give the enemy access to impact us in a negative way. And lastly is occultic activity. Like let's say if you were involved with santeria, witchcraft, or playing with Ouija boards or tarot cards or all these type of activities that summon the enemy to be involved in your life, you're pretty much asking the enemy to have access. So I just wanted quickly to highlight five things that the enemy is able to do. Now, 
as we continue the story, now how we mentioned everyone's arguing, and the man tells him, the man mentions to Jesus what's happening with his son and everything that's happening. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, right there you see where in verse 19, uh, he says, you unbelieving generation. So right there, Jesus rebukes like the disciples in front of everyone. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long um, shall I put up with you? So right there, I almost love that statement because right there, Jesus is like venting a little bit. And Jesus is pretty much like saying, it's like, I taught you. You know, like, how long do I have to be with you so that you could get it? It's like right there. It's like, don't be an unbelieving generation. You have to believe God that he's the God of miracles and he's able to do the impossible. And then he's like, how long should I stay with you? Like, how long, how many times do I have to teach you the same lesson? How many times do you have to hear it? How many times do I have to go over and over again? So right there, he's venting a little bit to, um, to the disciples. And then he says this, bring the boy to me. Verse 20, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. So right there, it's like the spirit saw Jesus and the boy started to act up even more at that moment. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Now, something I want us to take note. It's like here, the demon that's in this boy doing all of this, it's like trying to show off and trying to make himself feel strong. Now, remember, the, the disciples were trying to cast this demon out and they weren't able to. So all of a sudden now he's acting up, making the, this big scene, trying to bring fear into everyone's heart, just trying to show how powerful the demon is. Now, I want to even highlight in Mark chapter 5, a story that we've talked about in the past, where you have a different situation where someone's possessed, living among the tombs, okay, in need of deliverance, in need of deliverance. And all of a sudden, it's a different pretty much uh, action that the demon took that was there in the, uh, the man that was in the tombs. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 5. You could just jot it down. It's not going to be here with the verses. And you could, this is, this is just extra study that you could do. But the demon said when he, oh, it says there in uh, Mark chapter 5, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? So in God's name, don't torture me. So right there, I just even want you to see that there's two completely different responses when it comes to the demons there that was highlighted. But you could almost see the different ranks in the darkness in the spiritual world here. Whoever this demon is that we're highlighting in the story that we're reading today, obviously was probably of a higher rank thinking that it was more powerful than anyone or anything. But then he's in for a nice little surprise. So right here, the kid is acting up again. And then Jesus knows that this is a moment for a lesson. So you would think that automatically Jesus would set the boy free, but he doesn't. He turns to the father. 
Jesus asked the boy's father, I'm on verse 21, how long has he been like this? And then um, the um, father answered, from childhood. So that's why I believe he was like a teenager, because he's saying, from childhood, he answered. It, was, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So right there, I want to even pause real quick for you to see even the dad saying that it often has thrown him into fire and in water to kill him. So right there, you see the mission of the enemy is to kill you. And so many of us are dancing with the enemy, dancing with sin, dancing with the things that you know you're not supposed to be dancing with. And all of a sudden you think it's okay, but the enemy scheming and working behind, all he wants to do is completely destroy us and kill us. So here, here he says, um, then of course he, tur- he turns to them and says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. In verse 23, it says, if you can, said Jesus, I also love that too. It's like, Jesus is like, if you can? It's like, don't you know who you're talking to? It's, it's like, if you can help, of course I can help. And then it says, everything is possible for one who believes. So here you see the importance of faith and for us to believe in the miracles, no matter what the reports are, no matter what anyone might be saying, even right now in the world that we have, so many of you, maybe you've lost your jobs or maybe you lost a loved one or maybe there's someone sick in your family right now. You always want to um, maintain the faith. You always want to believe the impossible. You always want to trust God in the middle of whatever you might be going through because we have an amazing God that says everything is possible for one who believes. In verse 24, it says this, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. So there, I love that statement too, because there it highlights the tension that so many of us feel. So many of us have that tension that we do believe, but there is a part of us that doesn't believe. So he just cries out and he's transparent to Jesus. It's like, I do believe, but also help that part of me that doesn't believe, my unbelief. I want to be there completely believing you with everything that I have. So here I I do want to say, and I'm going to bring it up a little bit later too. The father's faith had a direct link to his child's deliverance. The father's faith had a direct link to the child's deliverance. I just want to even take a moment to talk to every father and mother that's watching here right now. Your faith has a direct link to the deliverance, the letter D for today's teaching, of your children. So for all of us, it's your job, your responsibility to guard your house spiritually emotionally, physically to the best of your ability. And in Jesus' name, you have to look after your children and stand in the gap, go on your knees, praying for your children, believing God that God could do the impossible. Maybe some of us, we've been praying for decades and we haven't seen the result. God, those prayers are not in vain and God has heard every single one of them. And we need to continue to pray, believing God for the impossible, but just never forget 
that this father's faith had a direct result on the deliverance of his child. So each of you, whenever you see your children tormented or, or in pain or confused and you feel as though it might be of some type of influence of the enemy, you need to go before God in faith asking God to deliver your child as, as well. In verse 25, it says this, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, all of a sudden the drama was increasing, he rebuked the impure spirit and said, you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. It's almost like at, even up to the very end, Knowing it had to obey Jesus, the enemy wanted to cause as much destruction as possible. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. He stood up. The enemy will try to leave you dead. But no matter what you might be going through, and even right now, no matter what you might be facing, just know that God is able always to lean down and lift you up. No matter what valley you might find yourself in, no matter what torment you might be experiencing in your life, no matter what depression, no matter what sadness, no matter what addiction, no matter what you might be facing, Jesus could be right above you and help you be lifted up and be healed, be restored and be delivered. After Jesus had gone in, indoors in verse 28, it says this, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? Why couldn't we drive him out? Like, it's almost like, you know, what happened back there? You know, why couldn't we do it? And then all of a sudden Jesus replied in verse 29, this kind can come out only by prayer and some other manuscripts and translations says, and fasting as well. So right there, you even see Jesus himself highlighting there's different levels when it comes to these guys. And you have to be on guard. And as a disciple and as a Christian, like we need to walk in faith and walk in prayer and walk fasting and being close to God to win these battles against the enemy. So let me give you a couple quick um, takeaways. I'm going to give you four quick takeaways with this. Is this. Number one is this, Jesus expected his disciples to take care of business, okay? Jesus didn't go there and said, you know what, guys, this is not for you. This is for me only because I'm God and I'm the only one that could bring deliverance to people's life when the enemy is trying to cause havoc in their life. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's like Jesus, that wasn't Jesus' approach. Jesus said, no, I expect you to take care of business. I expect you to do what you, I've taught you to do because you're my disciple. So right there, number one, is Jesus expected his disciples to take care of business. Number two is this. 
The father's faith was, uh, was directly connected to his child's deliverance. I already told you I was going to bring it up near the end. It's like right here, don't forget that. Don't forget your crucial role spiritually as a parent. So many of us, we, only, we also only look at the physical side. We want to like, you know, put a roof over their heads. We want to put food on their table. And of course, that's very important. But don't forget about the spiritual side as well. Number three is this. Just because you have been given authority doesn't mean that you know how to walk in it. Just because you've been given authority doesn't mean you know how to walk in it. So here you see a good example of of the disciples. Jesus told them, trained them. They knew it, but yet they were still trying to figure out how to walk in this authority that God has given them. Now, I'm going to give you an example with this. Imagine if right now, like, we're able to make you the chairman of the Joint of Chiefs of Staff. Some of us were like, uh, what is that? Um, what is that title? Now, let me read to you exactly what, what it is. The chairman of the Joint of Chiefs of Staff is the nation's highest ranking military officer and the principal military advisor to the president, the secretary of defense, and the National Security Council. That's a no-joke title, okay? So all of a sudden, that's a title that comes with, of course, a lot of authority. So if I tell you right now, starting now, it's around 1141 in my watch. At 12 noon, you're going to be like sworn in, let's say, to be in that position. Like you're going to be in that position. You're going to have all that authority. All of a sudden, you realize right now, some of you are sweating. Don't worry. This is just a joke. This is really not happening, okay? So it's like all of a sudden, just because you have the authority, you don't know exactly how to walk in that authority. Is the same thing that happens spiritually. And I'm going to give you a prime example of this um, here, here in Acts chapter 19, verse 13 to 16. We have a situation. We have a situation where there's Jews calling on the name of Jesus, trying to cast out demons. Okay, so they're pretty much using authority, you could say, but yet they're not able to do it. And here in this story, it says this, in verse, starting at verse 13 in Acts chapter 19. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. So right there, you automatically see that they don't even have a relationship with Jesus. They're trying to reference, they're trying to reference Paul as being like, uh, like the person, the point of contact right there in whom Paul preaches. I command you to come out. I command you to come out. Then it says, the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. And Paul I know about, but who are you? Who are you? 
You know, it's like here you have, you're, you're trying to use an authority that you cannot use because you don't have, you don't know how to use it. And you don't have a relationship with the person that the authority comes under because your authority is pretty much linked. And I'm going to talk about that is with your relationship with God. And then um, here it says this, as, um, uh, it says, who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Okay? So that's actually in the Bible. I'm just reading to you what the Bible said. So here I'm going to give you the fourth point after reading that passage is this. The effectiveness of the spiritual authority you live with is a direct reflection of your level of submission to God's authority in your life, okay? The effectiveness of the spiritual authority you live with is a direct reflection of your level of submission to God's authority in your life. If you're not submitting to God's authority in your life, and he's not the Lord of your life, don't even be calling out to the name of Jesus to try to cast out um, demons or anything like that. You're asking for trouble. Just call out to the name of Jesus to ask for forgiveness. Call out to the name of Jesus to repent, to come back to him. But to walk in the authority that God's given you, you need to walk under his authority first and be in that relationship to be effective in doing the things that God's called you to do. Now, let me um, even put it this way. Who did he give this authority to? Did he give it to the fans of Jesus? But there's a lot of fans of Jesus in this world. In this world, like if we did a poll, like I know that right now there's so many different polls, like on Facebook and all this thing. It's like if we did a poll, it's like how many of you love Jesus? Woo! all the screaming, all the shouting, you know, it's like all the excitement. It's like, you know, it's like, yes, yes, we're fans of Jesus, but we still do whatever we want. So Jesus didn't give his authority to the fans of Jesus. And then all of a sudden there's followers, like even there, like all of a sudden there with the story that we just highlighted, there was crowds that would follow Jesus and show up. But you know, a lot of the followers, they're just nosy. So like, you know what I mean? They just want to be in the, in the moment. It's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, what's up? What you doing? What you doing now? You going to heal someone? You going to do this or that? You know, they just want, they, they just like the gossip to go back home, tell El Barrio like what's going on um, with it. So they, you know, a lot of followers, they're not like uh, truly devoted to God. So here you have fans and then some people are followers. Now, followers could be those that attend church weekly or maybe tune in weekly. Or, or you know, they might even read the Bible once in a while. They might even listen to Bethel music or they might listen to Maverick City music. Or those are a couple of big music groups, of course. You know, they might even listen to all these great music. They might even like to sing for to the Lord or do ministry for the Lord when it comes to followers. But just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean that you're obeying Jesus. Are you obeying Jesus? Because that's where it separates followers from disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're obeying Jesus. You're becoming little, like a little Jesus, Christ-like. Like, you know, you're following in his footsteps, trying to do things the way that he's taught you, the way he wants you to live out. 
So here you see the, the, the authority that God gives to do these type of things and to walk in his power and to walk in his anointing in this level is to his disciples. It wasn't to the fans. Jesus didn't turn around to all the followers that were gathered there like to see, hey guys, let me tell you something. I'm going to let all of you guys know that you could do this. In reality, it was directed to the disciples. And I want to read to you a very important verse. And it says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. And this is said to the disciples. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So they're a direct statement to the followers. So right now, what I want to um, transition to, to talk to you about, is your spiritual position. How is your spiritual position? And as I go through this, you'll understand what I'm talking about. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read it again. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. So right there, it pretty much proclaims that we've, once we've given our lives to Jesus, surrendered to him, giving him everything, making him the Lord of our life, he's raised us up to be seated with him. It's a position of dominion. It's a position of dominion. But I just want to also highlight this, that just because God has raised us up to be seated in heavenly places because of our actions, decisions, and um, pretty much our thoughts and the way we choose to live, we ourselves could lower ourselves, you could say, from the spiritual position that God has placed us in. We could lower ourselves and forfeit the authority that God's given us. Would we do that? Why would we do that? Why would we, would we not want to be in a position of dominion? Because God wants us to have dominion in our lives. Like, I, I mean, even we, if we think of Adam and Eve, like God called them even from the garden to have dominion and to rule. But they forfeited their position, their spiritual position. They forfeited it by allowing temptation and disobedience to come into the picture. And that same thing can happen to us in our daily lives. Don't forfeit the spiritual position that God has for you. No matter what's being dangled in front of you, no matter what the temptation is, no matter what you might be holding on to, nothing is worth pretty much trading what God has for you for what the world or the enemy is trying to give you. So here, how I told you about having the position of dominion. Now, just as a test, and I think everyone knows, this teaching is brought to you by what letter? You can even comment. What letter? What's the main letter of today? is sponsored and brought to you by the letter D, okay? D. And here I'm going to highlight six different letters D with the letter D to start off. And it's going to be up there on your screen. I'm going to read them first, and then I'm going to explain to you why they're there for you. Number one is dominion. 
okay? Dominion. Then it's drive. Then it's defend. Then it's deal. Then it's deception. Then it's destruction. So there you see six letters with the letter of the day, which is D, highlighted. Now, it's pretty much a sliding scale, you could say. It's pretty much a, a journey that you could be on. But I want you to think about what spiritual position you're in today. We already know because I already told you, God wants us to be in the place of dominion, where you're ruling pretty much spiritually the territory that God's given you in your life. The enemy has no ground in your life. You've shut every access door. You've forgiven everyone that you have to forgive. You know, you don't allow bitterness to set in. You don't allow sin to rule. You don't entertain sin. You know, all of a sudden, you don't let sin become a master in your life. All of a sudden, you've closed access. You deal with the hurts that you have, any generational things that you might have had in your life. You've cut that off in Jesus' name. You know, you've dealt with the things that you've had to deal with. And all of a sudden, you know, you've sealed all the entrances. You've put barbed wire. You got spiritual Rottweilers out in your backyard. You're not going to let the enemy get close to your heart, mind, and soul. And not only for you, but you, you take that stance for your whole family. That's the spiritual position of dominion. Everybody watching is in a spiritual position, but you need to decide which one you're going to be in. So this one here, God wants us to be in dominion. Now, maybe you're not in dominion. Maybe you're in the place which is drive, which means that you've taken the stance to drive out the enemy. You're gaining ground, but you still know that there's enemies pretty much in the promised land that God has given you. But you know God's called you to drive out all your enemies and you've taken the mental, the spiritual position that you're going to drive out every enemy that's in your heart and mind and soul in your life until you get to the place of having full dominion over the enemy in your life. Maybe it's drive. Pretty much you, you have that position, that mentality that you're going to drive out the enemy, but you know that the enemy still has control of a couple places in your heart and mind, but you're after him. In Jesus' name, you're going to conquer every territory for God. So you might be in the spir a spiritual position of drive. Maybe it's defend. Maybe you're not driving, conquering land. You're pretty much just in your own little corner of your heart trying to defend whatever you might have there. But you know the enemy has pretty much all the other territory there. Of course, there's moments in our lives where we take a position of defense, but God wants us to be in a position of driving out the enemy. Maybe some of us, we're in that position of defending and we just tolerate what the enemy is doing all around us. It's almost as if you have neighbors that act up and they're causing havoc everywhere you go, let's say, and you just say, well, as long as this little section of my life is okay, all this other havoc that might be happening around my life, I'm going to tolerate it. God doesn't want you to be just in a position of defense. Obviously, we're there to defend certain things. But God wants you to drive the enemy out and be in a spiritual position of dominion. Are you in a place of defense 
just guarding your little backyard, but yet the enemy has the whole neighborhood of your heart. You know, you got to drive out the whole enemy from your life. The next D, the letter of the day, which is D, is deal. Some of us, we've made a deal with the enemy. Some of us, let's keep it real. We might not have vocally has said it. We might have not like written a contract, said, hey, we got a deal with you. But your actions, your thoughts, and your words, you made a deal with the enemy. You have one foot in the world and one foot following God, and you're completely fine with it. You're completely fine with letting lust conquer your life, letting pornography rule your life, being in adultery, pretty much being chasing after so many other things that you know it's of the world and that doesn't belong to you. But yet you have a song of worship in your heart. You know, yet, you know, you know how to quote Bible verses. You know, you're, you're quick to ask for forgiveness, but you're quick to sin too. You know, it's like there you, all of a sudden you've decided it's okay to live the two worlds. You made a deal, but let me tell you, you know, how I told you, it's like all of a sudden the enemy, it's a slippery slope to get to the point where that child was, to be that level of influence of the enemy. And just know the more access the enemy has, the more he's able to cause havoc. The next one is deception. It's not just that you, you made a deal because just to go back with making a deal with the enemy, pretty much when you make a deal with the enemy, you pretty much you're good with it type of thing. Deception is actually even a deeper level where, where you pretty much feel it's like everything that's bad is okay and it's good. You know, when you make a deal, you know it's bad, but you, you, you still choose to live with it. When you're deceived, part of deception, all of a sudden, the things that were good, you see as bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, all, 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 all of a sudden, it's like you're willing to pretty much follow God no matter what. I mean, not follow God, follow the enemy no matter what. All of a sudden, it's like you've been deceived to believe that everything that's evil is actually good when it's not. It's like you chase after evil things harder and stronger than even you've chased after God. You just think it's good. You've been deceived. People could look at you and share with you what the Bible says. Hey, what you're doing is absolutely wrong, but yet you'll quickly have a response to counter it that's not biblical, and you justify the position that you're in. You're deceived that the way that you're living is okay when it's not. It's a very scary place to be in deception. Because little by little, you've believed the lies that the enemy has told you. Little by little, like the enemy has given you bricks one by one. And all of a sudden, you're building a stronghold of deception inside your mind. And one by one, the lies you've believed for such a long time become so much part of your reality. You think that's real and the Bible is not. Deception is a scary place to be. And lastly is destruction. Destruction, the last letter D, is the place where the enemy is fully having havoc and destroying things in your life. And some of us, we've experienced this, some of us haven't, but the enemy absolutely wants to steal, kill, and destroy you in every way possible. The enemy doesn't love you. The enemy doesn't care about you. 
He doesn't want you to have deliverance. He doesn't want you to have deliverance, but God wants you to have deliverance. In the passage, we see this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, it says this. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold in any way, shape, or form. And right now, this moment, like you need to really look at what you've given the enemy. Because for some of us, we didn't give the enemy a foothold. We didn't just give him like an open door. We gave him like an open house completely into our lives. And here the scripture challenges us not to even give the enemy a foothold at all. So I've highlighted to you the six spiritual positions that you could be in. I want you to take a moment and really look at your life and decide where are you spiritually? We know that God wants you to be in a place of dominion, but where are you today? Because you could easily lose ground. You could easily forfeit the authority that God has given you. So here, what do we do here with, all of our, with each of us, with our lives? No matter where you are, let's say if you're in the place of dominion, keep surrender to God, keep obeying God, and stay guard and watch and knowing that God wants you to stay in that place of full deliverance from the enemy. But if you're in any of the other places, you could easily come to God in repentance. You could easily come to God in surrender. You could easily come to God and give him everything that you have. But the choice is yours. The last letter D that I'm going to highlight for you which is the letter for the day, is decision. Your decisions is the greatest spiritual act you could ever do. And it's your decisions that will really determine, you know, where you're going to be spiritually in that place, in the places I've highlighted. What are you going to decide? What are you going to decide? Because the choice is yours. You know, I know in the beginning of the teaching, and I know today's teaching is a little bit different. You know, it's, it's talking about a reality that Jesus' ministry had, and it's a reality that we live in. But it's amazing how in so many ways the enemy wants to be subtle and pretend that he doesn't exist, and he's not trying to cause havoc in our lives. I know in the beginning of the teaching, I, I talked about Sesame Street, and I talked about Chapulín Colorado and all the things. When I think about my childhood, the things that I watched, Sábado Gigante and all that stuff. But I have to say that when I think about my childhood, I also think about that when I was young, I have to say that I was tormented. For some reason, when through my childhood, and I'm not going to go into details, I, I kind of know now the reasons why certain things happening in my family and stuff. But as a child, I remember having nightmares. I remember being tormented, uh, feeling confused. I remember uh, sometimes even feeling like, like, even in that passage that we read, how it says like the enemy um, took the ability of speaking away from them. I remember sometimes feeling like I was pinned in my bed and not being able to say a word, but I was wide awake. 
at a young age, I knew, I didn't have a relationship with God, but I knew that there was something evil trying to destroy me, trying to destroy my family, trying to do whatever it can to bring fear and havoc into my life. But then all of a sudden, in the midst of the torment you could say that I was in, someone introduced me to Jesus. And it was almost as if, of course, I wasn't at the level of the child in the story that was completely demonized, you could say. I wasn't at that level. But yet I was at a level that I had restlessness. I didn't have peace. And I knew that something was wrong. And then when Jesus came into my life, it's as if Jesus all of a sudden extended his hand and said, you know what? You don't have to live in torment anymore. You don't have to live in fear anymore. You don't have to live pretty much being confused like that anymore. You don't have to live allowing the enemy to have influence in your life anymore. Let me heal you and lift you out of that. And all of a sudden, when I realized what Jesus did in my life and what Jesus does in so many of our lives, and not only that, when I realized that he's given us the authority to walk and have deliverance in our own lives and not to give the enemy any access, forget about it. It's like personally, a long time ago, I made that decision. It's like, I'm going to follow you, God. And I'm going to choose to live in obedience with you and have dominion over the enemy and not give him access anymore to torment me in any way, shape, or form. Right now, this moment, as we get ready to close, there's some of you that are watching that you could even say, it's like, you know what? It's like in one way or another, the enemy might have influence in your life. You need to decide to take authority over the enemy in your own life, in Jesus' name, and submit and surrender everything to God. Because the greatest spiritual decision you could ever make is your decisions, your actual decisions to follow God and mean it. If everyone could bow their heads as we pray. Father God, I thank you so much for everyone that's watching today. I thank you so much that all of a sudden, in the midst of everything that's happening, you're bringing us to a place to evaluate where we are, our spiritual position in you. You don't want fans for you. You don't want just followers for you. God, you want disciples, God. And to be a disciple, God, is someone that's surrendered, someone that follows you obediently, and someone that holds the place, the spiritual position of dominion. God, we, you've called us to rule, God. And may in the territory of our life that you've given us, God, that we may rule spiritually under your authority. But God, right now, this moment, some of us, some of us, we've, we, we're not driving out our enemies. We're not pretty much, we've made deals with the enemy. We've allowed deception to take its place. We have allowed destruction to run havoc in our lives. So God, right now, this moment, we come before you and we ask for forgiveness. 
Forgive us, cleanse us. Forgive us for entertaining sin. Forgive us, God, for holding on to bitterness. Forgive us for not forgiving others, God. Forgive us, God, for taking lightly the fact that things are going wrong in our lives when it comes to spiritually, God. God, God, right now, this moment, we just commit our lives to you once again, God, knowing, God, that you are the one that deserves our, all our worship, our praise, our obedience, and everything in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you so much for watching. Just know we absolutely love you so much. And may God bless you. And I pray that everyone watching would choose to be in the spiritual position of dominion. God bless you.